Good afternoon, and welcome to From Where We Are, stories of news and culture through the lens of USC and Southern California. I'm Claire Fogarty, coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. And I'm Nicole Bednar. It's Tuesday, February 28th, 2023, the last day of February, and more importantly, National Pancake Day! On today's show... USC shuttle drivers rally for a fair union election process. The Supreme Court hears oral arguments about Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, a study from UC Berkeley about gun violence fears, rainy days in LA, and a conversation about potential TikTok bans. All that and more from where we are. But first, these news headlines. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments today about President Biden's plan to eliminate up to $20,000 in student loans for some borrowers. The plan is priced at an estimated $400 billion. Six Republican states and two individuals sued the Biden administration. The plaintiffs argued that the plan oversteps the president's power and would cause tax revenue to fall. More on this story later in the show. It's election day for the Windy City. Polls are open to elect Chicago's new mayor, city council, and police district council. Current mayor Lori Lightfoot is the first black and openly gay woman to lead a major city. She's running for a second term with nine candidates for mayor on the ballot. It's expected that the top two candidates will head to a runoff set for April 4th. The key issue this election cycle, crime. Gun control, policing, and violence are top of mind for voters. Polls just closed at 5 p.m. Pacific, and according to election officials, results should be in within the next couple of hours. Yesterday marked the first day of Eating Disorder Awareness Week, an annual campaign that seeks to educate the public about eating disorders and provide support for those affected. Iconic landmarks across the nation, including the Empire State Building and Chicago's Willis Tower, will light up in blue and green in honor of the week. 28.8 million Americans will suffer from this illness at some point in their lives, and it can affect people of all genders, ages, and body shapes. If you or a loved one needs help, visit it, visit nationaleatingdisorders.com.org for more information on resources. At USC, the results of the 2023 USG student government elections will be announced tonight at 7 p.m. during the USG Senate meeting located in TCC 405. A total of five campaigns were on the ticket for the president and eight on the senatorial ticket, as intense campaigning took over the campus last week. And those are some of today's headlines. Another group is looking to unionize following the success of USC's graduate student workers, and they led a rally throughout the campus earlier today. Anthony Klingerman was on the ground to report that story. Respect! Respect! Respect that USC! I'm currently on my way down to Tommy Trojan alongside a contingent of students, faculty, and drivers. The drivers have started their engines, and they're on the road to unionization. We always try to run this economy on the back of workers, and we want to pay them less each and every time. If we have the fourth largest economy in the world, why should workers have to fight for respect and better pay? 
The voice you just heard belongs to Pastor Stephen Q. John Marie of Skid Row's Church Without Walls, a worship group that provides food to the Rose homeless population. Pastor Q was on campus to support the USC shuttle driver's upcoming vote to join the Service Employees International Union. With the power of a megaphone in hand, Felipe Carceres led the rally throughout campus on their march to Tommy Trojan. Historically, USC has spent millions on union-busting firms and union-busting consultants, and currently they're telling drivers all kinds of different things that is just not true about the union, and drivers are demanding that they want, you know, fair pay. We reached out to the USC public relations team for comment, and they forwarded Annenberg Radio News the following statement on behalf of USC Auxiliary Services. We value our shuttle drivers and the important work they do for the university. We also value the direct, collegial, and cooperative relationship we have with our drivers and our ability to flexibly and directly respond to their concerns and needs as they arise. We do not believe they need a third party to speak for them. That said, we respect our drivers' right to decide for themselves whether or not they wish to have a union represent them, and this decision should be made through the election scheduled for March 23rd. Carceres and the drivers rallying today feel differently about the claim made in Auxiliary Services' statement. We represent drivers just like the shuttle drivers here, and these shuttle drivers get paid the lowest in all of L.A. County. They get paid the lowest of anybody who drives at Union Station. They get paid the lowest of anybody who drives in the city of L.A. So what can we bring to the table is the union difference, a wage that respects these drivers' seniority, that respects these drivers' dignity, and respects their commitment to the Trojan family. The union's NLRB vote is set to take place on March 23rd. For Annenberg Media, I'm Anthony Klingerman. Student loan debt in the U.S. totals more than $1.7 trillion, according to the Education Data Initiative. Biden's student debt relief plan is trying to put a dent in that, but challenges to the legality of the plan remain. Kami Toomey explains what's at stake at the Supreme Court. Tuesday, the Supreme Court heard two arguments against Joe Biden's student debt forgiveness plan, which remains on hold after being blocked by the lower court last fall. Biden's plan seeks to forgive up to $20,000 in federal student loan debt for more than 40 million Americans due to the effects of the pandemic. His plan relies on the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act of 2003, known as the HEROES Act, that grants the Secretary of Education the power to waive or modify a federal student loan program in emergency situations. The first lawsuit, brought by six Republican-led states, argues that the act would exceed the authority of the Department of Education. The second was brought by two individual borrowers who did not qualify for full benefits under the program. The core question centers on whether the HEROES Act grants the executive branch an emergency power to implement Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness program in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Representative Jamal Brown has been a staunch advocate for student debt relief. He argued that college should be free in the first place. Why the hell are we paying for education in the first place? <laughs> college should be free. <laughs> you should pay us to go to school because guess what when we get out we are contributing to this society and this democracy and this economy and making it stronger justice neil gorsuch remains skeptical of the executive branch's authority to enact such a plan 
most casual observers would say if you're going to give up that much amount of money, if you're going to affect the obligations of that many Americans on a subject that's of great controversy, they would think that's something for Congress to act on. Chief Justice John Roberts led the conservative questioning against the act and argued that the cost of the program exceeded the benefits. Not just the cost of the government, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. what I think they argue that is missing is cost to other persons in terms of fairness and that a half a trillion dollars is being diverted to one group of favored persons over others. With Republican-led justices holding the court majority six to three, it's likely that Biden's student loan forgiveness program will be struck down. The decision won't be released for months, with the decision expected by summer. For Annenberg Media, I'm Cami Toomey. I'm Claire Fogarty. We're glad you're with us for From Where We Are. And I'm Nicole Bednar. It's nine minutes past the hour. Coming up, a study from UC Berkeley on gun violence fears, how Southern Californians respond to rainy days, and a conversation with TikTok influencer Cami Toomey on the future of the app. Stay with us. Gun violence is an unfortunate reality in America. Despite this, not everyone carries the same level of fear around shootings. Caitlin Calfo breaks down a recent UC Berkeley study on gun violence. In California, a mass shooting happens every 8.3 days, despite having the strictest gun laws in the nation. A new statewide poll from the University of California Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies comes weeks after a wave of deadly mass shootings this year. Nearly two-thirds of California voters surveyed worry that they or a loved one could become a victim of gun violence and that control over gun ownership matters more than protecting the Second Amendment. But these beliefs reveal a stark partisan divide, with Democrats more than twice as likely to feel concerned. Past studies have shown that fear of violent crime looms over both parties, but when it comes to guns, Republicans feel less threatened, according to Eric Schickler, the poll's co-director. This extreme difference in attitude, says Schickler, emphasized how much guns contribute to political polarization in California and beyond. In fact, three in four Democrats worry that someone close to them could experience gun violence, compared to one in three Republicans. Among Republicans, only 10 percent believe that passing more gun laws will reduce mass shootings. Women, people of color, and voters living in urban areas are more likely than men, white voters, and rural Californians to view gun violence as an eminent danger. To learn more about California public opinion on guns, you can visit the Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies website. For Annenberg Radio News, I'm Caitlin Calfo. Rain, rain, go away. Days of rainy weather have sunny Los Angeles looking for ways to cope with the dreary weather. Anthony Slade talked to USC students about how they've been facing the bizarre weather patterns. The sun shined down on the students gathered in front of Tudor Center today as they celebrated what seemed like their first moment out of the rain in days. The weather has been the subject of a campus-wide lament, with students sharing their stories of lonely nights, skipped classes, and stolen umbrellas. Some students, like Marshall graduate student Sumed Desprabu, are struggling to find motivation on these rainy days. It just gets too cozy, so it's uh, hard to get out of the bed. Others, like freshman computer science major Ronit Avalani, have had to change plans as a result of the less than favorable weather. I don't know, my friends were planning on going out on a Friday night, but instead we stayed in and did like a karaoke night. And so 
It ended up, we still had a plan. We still did something. As of last week, downtown LA's cumulative rainfall rose above its 14.25 inch average for an entire season, which isn't over until the end of June. These unusually high numbers come at a time when Trojans seem least prepared. Miona Ketrapol, a student majoring in computational linguistics, has been weathering the storm without an umbrella. I don't own a, no, my umbrella broke, so I don't own an umbrella, but I have a rain jacket, which kind of probably is the problem. Dishprabhu has also been going through this month without the luxury of an umbrella. So uh, I did not get an umbrella when I came, uh, when I boarded the flight to United States because, because of the l- luggage restrictions, I thought, let's not. And uh, I, a lot of people, you know, they call it sunny California. I don't know where it is right now. Dipali Yedalapuram, a sophomore cognitive science major, was born and raised in San Diego. She claims she's never owned an umbrella until this week. Yesterday, I was walking with two friends and there was like an umbrella in GFS. It was just left there and I took it. Interestingly enough, another student, Catherine Arnold, who is double majoring in business and biology, tells a similar tale. It was Friday night, and it was pouring rain, and I got to my sorority house, and I put my umbrella in the bucket at the front door, and then about an hour later, I went to leave, and the bucket was, or not the bucket, the umbrella was no longer there. I don't think it was a malicious stealing of an umbrella. I think that all black umbrellas look exactly the same, and somebody just took it. This smattering of umbrella-less students may be the cause for what seems like a trend in class attendance, or lack thereof. Anji Sharma, a grad student studying business analytics, took a hit yesterday due to the rain. Uh, yeah, so yesterday, as, as it was raining yesterday the whole day, I had two classes yesterday. I didn't go to a single one. <laughs> Other students, like Yadalapuram, have braved the storm and made it to class. Until today. It really changed. I am going to class. haven't skipped any either, except I did today, which is weird because it's sunny. When asked where she found the motivation to get to class, Rohatkis had this to say. Failure. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I do my class on zoom i will sleep like there's no doubt about it so i think just to focus i have to go to class otherwise i won't avalani who made it to class without an umbrella shared his thoughts on the matter no um i think umbrellas are for the week don't let today's sunshine fool you the rain rain hasn't gone away quite yet the forecast for this week shows more showers for annenberg media i'm anthony slade TikTok is one of the most popular apps in the world, but also one of the most controversial. The app's ties to China raise concerns about data security and privacy for users. On Monday, the White House announced that they are giving all federal agencies 30 days to delete TikTok off of government-issued mobile devices, a move that we've already seen in places such as Canada and Denmark. We have ARN reporter and TikTok commentator Cami Toomey in the studio to talk to us about the role TikTok plays in the lives of young people, the state of the app, and her own career on the platform. Thanks for joining us, Cami. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, so tell us a little about um, about your start on TikTok. Yeah, so I got started in... About July of 2021, I had an illness, so it meant that I couldn't attend school in person. I was doing online um, community college for a year. 
So in a way to continue my journalism and just have some fun, I started a TikTok account where I talk about all things pop culture and entertainment. Um, and, you know, with over half a million followers, how has being a TikTok creator changed your life? I mean, it's changed my life in a lot of ways. I have an outlet. It gives me something to do that I feel passionate about. It gives me just a reason to wake up and to do things and have fun. So after hearing the news about um, the government banning TikTok, what are your feelings about that? Do you have any concerns about TikTok using your personal data? Um, I wouldn't say that I have too many concerns about my own personal data just because we all use multiple platforms, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, they all are collecting data on us. I think it becomes more of a concern when it comes to government employees. But yeah, I'm not too particularly worried for myself, but I can understand the fears. Um, and how do you think this will affect content creators on the app as we know it? I mean, there are so many content creators that TikTok is their sole livelihood. They've quit their jobs or it is the thing that is funding their lives. And if TikTok was banned or taken away by the government, they could lose that outlet. So they talk a lot about diversifying your platforms, trying to get onto Instagram, YouTube, because the future kind of is really uncertain. Um, do you think that the U.S. government will follow um, the other countries and expand the ban? It would be interesting to see what happens, um, especially when it comes to like the individual users. I understand for government employees, but TikTok is such a major app that so many people use consistently. I can't imagine that they could do it without some sort of backlash. So it'll be interesting to see, but I'm uncertain. So back to your own presence on the platform. Is there anything that you think, you think sets you apart as a creator? There are a lot of people who talk about pop culture. What makes you different? Yeah, so the way I try and talk about pop culture is, well, there's a couple ways. I try to give information in like a quick, concise manner that is accurate. There's so many people who will take a long time when they're speaking, and I just want to kind of get straight to the point and put in a little bit of flair with that. Well, with that half a million followers, please do not forget us here at ARN. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. Or ha Whoa. I mean, we have Candy yeah. here every day, but we it's do rare that her. we have her specific insights on air live. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be on this side of the microphone and camera, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Cammie. Bye. And that's all we have time for on today's From Where We Are. Meredith McCabe produced today's show with Jeffrey Lee, Val Diaz, and Issa Johnson. We also got help from Mallory Kara. Aaron Lee is our live stream manager, and Derek Renfro composed our theme music. We are also streaming live on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News. Subscribe to From Where We Are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Finally, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Radio. I'm Nicole Bednar. And I'm Claire Fogarty. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, wherever you are, we hope you'll join us again for From, from Where, Where We Are. So how have you been staying dry in the rain? Ooh, I have an umbrella, actually. I know, California native, that's I'm one of the few who one. doesn't, but we do have a random umbrella in here, so I might become one of the oh, thieves Oh yeah, of we umbrellas. do. It's pretty soaking in here. Thanks, guys. <laughs>